Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with, truthfully, one of the most important and influential composers in the history of musical theater, especially over the last 50 years, the man behind such shows as Godspell, Pippin, The Baker's Wife, Working, Rags, Children of Eden, Wicked, and the upcoming Queen of Versailles musical, not to mention films like Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Enchanted, and others, the one and only Stephen Schwartz. In 1998, DreamWorks released the animated film The Prince of Egypt, which featured a now-legendary score by Schwartz. Then, 19 years later in 2017, a stage adaptation of the film premiered before opening up in London's West End in February 2020. Following the pandemic shutdowns, the show returned a year and a half later and was eventually filmed, and that live capture is now available to stream on Broadway HD. I spoke to Stephen about the evolution of the Prince of Egypt from screen to stage and then back to screen, why he routinely returns to biblical stories as the source for projects, and how the tale of Moses mirrors much of what is happening in the world today. Of course, we also discussed the recent work session for the Queen of Versailles, the 20th anniversary of Wicked, and he actually told me about one biblical story that he tried to musicalize along with another iconic musical theater writer before realizing there just wasn't much there there. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Stephen Schwartz. For a project that started as a film, then roughly two decades later, made its way to the stage, is now back in a completely new form of film. I I have to wonder, as somebody who has spent most of your career writing for the stage, since theater is so fleeting, what does it mean for you to have this version of The Prince of Egypt preserved for generations to come? Because I, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, other than Pippin, is this only the second one of your stage shows that's been live captured and is easily distributable for folks? Yeah. And and I love that this form, you know, with the, the new technology exists. Um, you know, if you think about it, there are so many performances that are legendary that I've heard about in theater that I didn't get to see. And, you know, with theater, once it's gone, it's gone. And so um, it's so great to be able to now have, um, you know, these these kinds of performances preserved, particularly when it's done as well as what they were able to do with Prince of Egypt with the wonderful camera work. And you're seeing both the, you know, you get, you get a, the vision of the full stage and the you feel the audience around you because you hear them, but also the camera is moving up on stage. And so you get close-ups and, uh, you know, you it's as if you're sort of running around the theater, looking at from, from all different angles and running up on stage to look at an actor. And, you know, so you get the live experience, but also the kind of um, different perspectives and intimacy that a film can offer. And it's, it's really an exciting new medium. With taking this from something that was originally animated where you can literally do whatever an artist can draw and then having it recreated on the stage, which was one of the great things I most appreciated about this production was the inventiveness of the staging, whether it's from the way that they did the rushing water or the chariots or anything like that. Obviously as somebody who has worked both heavily on stage and in film, 
What extra little bit of excitement does that opportunity to see something reinvented for you, having whether it's a revival of a show or this new adaptation, moving it from one medium to another, what does that bring to you as a creator to kind of see a different interpretation of something you worked on so many years ago? Yeah, of course, that's very exciting. And, you know, one of the things about theater is that um, it demands theatricality. You can't be literal. You know, the audience is... Um, complicit with you. They bring their own imagination and that completes the experience. And that's one of the excitements of, of live theater. So as you say, you know, you're not going to have a literal bush burning on stage. So in, in the case of Prince of Egypt, dancers, you know, use choreography and there's lighting, etc., to, to bring the effect. And then the audience um, supplies, their imagination supplies this, or as you say, a chariot race where the chariots and the horses are, are people, you know, um, it's one of the really fun things about theater when you have imaginative staging, as, as I think this production did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, the original film cast is iconic at this point. I mean, I think everybody in that cast is is pretty much a household name. For the stage version, especially for U.S. theater fans, uh, that was not necessarily the case. Probably didn't know many of those names at all, but they were nonetheless fantastic and, and incredible. So for fans who might know the original film, but aren't familiar with Luke or Liam or Christine or Alexia, what can you say about what they are in store for when they see this version of the Prince of Egypt. Yeah, well, I mean, it was very important, we felt, to have an extremely diverse cast with people from all different ethnic backgrounds, um, all races, um, you know, because that's part of what the show is about. And it was um, Scott, the, the director's concept that it w- you wouldn't have, like, all the Egyptians would look the same and all the Hebrew tribes would be the same. The The idea was that this very diverse company of very talented stage performers, dancers, and singers would come together. And at one point, all of them would be Hebrew slaves, or all of them would be the Egyptian court. I mean, obviously, the, the lead roles are, you know, remain the lead roles. But even there, the diversity in casting was extremely important because obviously one of the messages is the tribe we're born to into is just an accident of birth. But really, we all are human together. And that's something that unfortunately gets forgotten a lot. And certainly, you know, with we look at what's going on in our world today, clearly is, you know, not a lesson we've all learned. And that's one of the major um ideas you know philosophies in the show so yeah these are we didn't cast stars at all just cast you know really talented people from a very wide uh variety of backgrounds but excellent actors and singers and dancers you you talk about kind of the message of the show and i imagine when you originally started working on the project back in the 90s and then when you start to work on you know the stage version some 20-ish years later. There's a lot of perspective uh, that comes with that, a lot of new experiences, but then a lot of societal changes as well. When you sat down to re-examine this and to rework on this and get this into a new form for an audience, what had changed for you, both in the material and, and perhaps even in yourself and in the audience that it was going to be presented to, that you felt had to kind of be incorporated into the work this second time around? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it 
has to do, Matt, with just the very things we've been talking about. I think I, w I and, and my collaborators were much more aware of the sort of um, polarization that was happening in, in society and which, of course, has only gotten, unfortunately, worse. I mean, I'd love to say that the message of this show is dated and is, you know, about things that used to happen but don't happen in our world anymore. But obviously, we look at the headlines and particularly, you know, what's happening right in the area where Prince of Egypt takes place. And obviously, you know, humanity has, has a ways to go to, you know, stop thinking of each, you know, ourselves as members of a, a, of a tribe and a group um, and others who aren't like us being our enemies. I mean, I think we were more aware of that, um, you know, when we were doing the show in the 20 teens and 2020 for obvious reasons of what had been happening politically in the world. And now, unfortunately, it feels more relevant than ever. Especially theater fans will know that this is not your first or even your second time writing a project based around biblical stories and all of them very different in, in terms of the, the approach to them. So I wonder, obviously these tales are all epic in nature by definition, and they've all withstood the test of time, but I wonder what is it about them that keeps drawing you back to them and not only just to tell these stories again, but to tell them in unique, distinct ways. Because like I said, every one of them, Godspell, Children of Eden, Prince of Egypt, all have very distinct approaches, musicality and and tones and humor and things like that. Yeah, I mean, they're big stories, you know, as, as you said. And it's not just the epic scale. It's that they deal with big issues and big conflicts that we face as human beings within ourselves and with one another. Um, you know, that's what the Bible is. That's how it, it came to be, was, you know, people wrestling with deep human issues that will remain throughout time. And I think, you know, that's why I find it lends, those stories lend themselves well to, uh, as a way to like examine things that are going on in our in our world today, but not, you know, not doing something that's set right here and now, and therefore five years from now seems more dated. You know, the fact that Prince of Egypt, a story like Prince of Egypt had relevance when the, the film came out, you know, in, in the early, you know, uh, uh, 1999 or whenever it was, and then the show, you know, in the 2020, and now, as I say, you know, with what's happening in the world now, it, it keeps it keeps being relevant and these stories keep being relevant. So that's why I think they're, you know, a rich um, vein to, to mine if you want to talk about the human experience. Yeah. Was there ever a biblical story that you're like, you know what, I'm going to write that. And then you started to do it and you're like, eh, maybe this doesn't work in a musical sense like I thought it might. Um, well, there was, yes, actually, you know, there was something that was brought to me um, and it was, it had to do with the story of Esther and it was brought to me because uh, Sheldon Harnick was working on it and I, he was a huge influence on me and just to get to work with Sheldon was, you of know, course. an amazing privilege, but um, yeah, it didn't really feel like it, it didn't feel like it went beyond itself, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've talked about Godspell and Children of Eden and Prince of Egypt. And yes, they are the stories, but they seem to be about more than just that story. This was one where we we couldn't really find something 
beyond the story itself that that seemed universal. Hmm. Interesting. I now I'm fascinated by what a story of Esther written by Stephen Schwartz and Sheldon Harnick would have sounded like, but um, perhaps not as timeless as these biblical stories, but perhaps nonetheless epic. Your most recent project that I know is uh, still currently going through the process is Queen of Versailles, which just had a, a workshop here recently in the theater community is buzzing about it. There's all, all these anticipation in rumors. I, I'm not sure what you can say or want to say about it, but coming out of that, what was your general consensus about where the project was after this most recent, I think I, I would imagine, two weeks of work? Yeah, well, I mean, it, I mean, it was quite encouraging. Um, Queen of Versailles is uh, about these very, very wealthy people in Orlando, Florida, who are building the biggest house in America. And obviously, therefore, it deals with the issues of, you know, I mean, it's comic in a lot of ways, but it deals with, you know, income, income inequality and the American dream and what is the American dream and has it changed and been, you know, maybe distorted over the years. It's so, again, it's big themes. Um, these are, even though they're real life people, uh, they're, you know, kind of bigger than life characters. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth is playing the title character. And um, so it's, you know, great to be uh, working with Kristen again. Um, yeah, and, and we're in process. Uh, we're in our, you know, Wicked, I think, did seven readings and workshops before an out-of-town tryout and then the Broadway production. And so we're sort of in the midst of that. And it's quite encouraging, but we have a lot of work to do. All right. We're, we're all excited about it. And uh, Thank you. Uh, as somebody who lives in Orlando, Florida, I'm especially uh, excited to uh, to see how this hey. works. But um you, you mentioned Wicked. Obviously, congratulations on the most recent anniversary. Uh, very exciting. I, I have to wonder, like, you said you went through seven workshops, the out-of-town tryout before it comes to Broadway. When did you know it was going to be a hit? Was it during the developmental process? Was it out of town? Or was it after the audiences started seeing it in New York? Or, you know, when did you realize, oh, we've got something here? Um, you could tell during the so, the developmental process. I mean, not that I mean, the show kept changing and there was a lot, lot wrong with it. You know, certainly our out of town tryout in, in San Francisco, there were all sorts of things wrong that we had to fix. And, you know, uh, uh, but the there was something that people were responding to right from the get go, something about <laughs> that character, the green girl and something about the relationship between those two young women that people responded to even even in a reading when you just had you know some friends there and some universal executives you know and everybody would sort of be in tears at the end and so you could you could see okay there's there's something here if we can just get it right Speaking of the green girl, there's been so many incredible talented actresses who've played yeah. Alphaba over the years. Do you have and I know they try to to not let them do this too, too much. But do you have a favorite riff on any of the songs, whether it's Defying Gravity or Wizard and I or, or anything like that? Because there are so many iconic ones from the different women who have played that role. Well, no, but I like that everyone makes it her own. You know, yeah. I, I like when I see that, you know, there, there are these um, compendiums that you see on YouTube or whatever, where they have, you know, 
one alphabet after another doing the, you know, the ah, at the end of Defying Gravity, <laughs> they all do it a little bit different. It's really, it's really fun and exhilarating. But, but I love that about the role that, that each person who play each young woman who plays Alphaba or Glinda can, you know, can bring her own personality to it. And it's not just a cookie cutter. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to imitate Adina, or I'm going to try and do it exactly the way Kristen did. And it's, I have watched many of those compendiums and I agree it is, it is very thrilling. Um, but to, to bring it back to, uh, to Prince of Egypt, obviously this is an, an animated film that so many people know and so many people have loved for, for decades now. As it transitioned to the stage and now from the stage to this film version, is there a moment that you're like, I really am excited for audiences to see this, whether it's because of how it translated from the original or how uh, Scott did it on on the stage or a, a certain performance. Is there a moment you're like, oh, this really sums up what we were trying to get at by bringing this to the stage? Yeah, I mean, there are. Yes, there are a couple. I mean, for instance, the very, very opening, how Scott did deliver us, how he translated this epic thing that you saw in on film, how it how it translated to the stage with the use of dancers and actors, you know, carrying bricks and putting them in different formations and just the way the whole thing moves, I think, you know, really shows the 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 transition to theatricality. And then there are moments that, you know, of things that weren't in the animated feature you know that we we couldn't put in or you know whatever i think you know during the whole plague sequence moses's you know song where you feel you realize what it's cost him personally to have to carry out this very harsh um regimen that he's forced to do um and and at what a cost that is to a human being um you know things that 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 have kind of the depth that we weren't able to do for all sorts of reasons. And it wasn't part of doing the, the animated feature, but are in the show. With this kind of new approach to it with a stage version of your animated, uh, of the animated feature, is there, is there anything else that either you have done on stage or screen that you would like to adapt the other way, whether it's a stage musical that you think would work in animation. Perhaps I think at one point Wicked, uh, it might have even before the musical even happened, just the story of Wicked from the book might have been talked about as as that. But uh, is there anything that you'd like to go one way or one of the animated films that you did would like to come to stage or vice versa? Well, this isn't fully animated, but I feel that I, I really would love it if Disney might develop Enchanted for live stage because I mm -hmm. think there are some very interesting techniques of going back and forth between live actors and actors on screen or in animation that could be very exciting. And, you know, um, I, I, I would want to make more use of that back and forthness than, than even existed in the movie. So I, you know, I have no idea if Disney has any interest in doing this, <laughs> but it's something that I think, could lend itself to be a really exciting and and amusing and entertaining uh, show. Well, speaking of that, like that, much like Prince of Egypt had so many you know stars attached to it, uh, you know throughout the years. Is there somebody who you went to work with who maybe you didn't know at first 
could do musical theater things, somebody who was, uh, you know, more of a, a traditional film or television star. And you're like, oh, they're they can really do this. And maybe not somebody who had the the background uh, at all. Well, I'm just speaking of Enchanted James Marston, Jimmy Marston, mm-hmm. um, you know, who was this extremely handsome movie star um, <laughs> who knew if, that he could sing at all. I mean, he could do pajama game, you know, I mean, he is a yeah. legit, really legit singer who could do a big leading role, you know, in a Broadway show and, and carry that off musically. And, you know, I had I had no idea that he could do that before. You know, I worked with him in Enchanted. Well, wonderful. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Prince of Egypt. It really is wonderful, and I'm excited for audiences to get the opportunity to see this and for it to be preserved for years and years and generations to come. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and yeah, I'm excited about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me pretty much anywhere on social media at Matt. You can also reach out to Broadway Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. In the show notes and in the article version of this episode on broadwayradio.com, we will have a link to where you can stream The Prince of Egypt. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the legendary Stephen Schwartz, Kara McLean, Kirsty Langsdale, and the man without whom none of Broadway Radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember... There can be miracles when you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve? Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.